Yusuk Debbie, the Weekend Collective. Tim Roxburgh and Tim Beveridge here for one more hour. And the final hour every Saturday is the Parent Squad. You can give us a call on 0800 80 1080. We'll go to the phones in just a minute or two. And text as well on 9292. We're going to be talking childhood anxieties. And even childhood anxieties which can carry through into adulthood. But it seems that at the moment, so many parents are anxious that their children are anxious. Uh, before we uh, bring in our special guest, Bevo, you've got a couple of kids. I do, and, indeed. Uh, and any anxieties you're happy to share on the well, wireless? Probably nothing that I'd share anyway. But I mean, I think you always want you you worry about um, when your kids are nervous about a new experience. And from from my point of view, I'm always. I don't want to use the word anxious, but I'm always anxious to make sure that I don't project any of my fears or worries about how <laughs> they're anxious. going to cope with a new thing. And and that's why I wonder, you know, whether, Catherine, you know, with, with anxiety in children, I think a lot of parents worry about, you know, whether their kids are coping with new challenges and new experiences and what is what 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 are the causes of anxiety and how do parents actually cope with when they've got an anxious, an anxious child, and our special guest is oh, Catherine yeah. Burkett, who's Sorry. a child, that's right, child psychologist. <laughs> Jumped ahead of the introduction there <laughs> um, from engaged training. In my mind, training. I had introduced her. I thought it. <laughs> Catherine, hello, hello. Hi. Uh, am I doing the intro now? No, no. no You've done it. You're it's already good. done already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you call quality award-winning radio. <laughs> that's right. Don't don't draw attention to it, beverage. <laughs> Catherine. So so as far as parents who who ironically are anxious about their children being anxious. How big a problem is this? Uh, well, obviously it depends on how high the anxiety is, but it's an absolute issue. We are getting it more and more in our society now, as you've mentioned. But if we understand what anxiety is, it's actually our body reacting as into a um, system to keep us alive. So we're actually activating a stress response and because we think something's going to kill us. <laughs> um, and... We, we activate to anything, no matter whether it's going to kill us or not. So as a parent, if you're activating, it's a good thing because what it means is you're on alert and making sure you can keep your child safe. And when they activate their anxiety, you activate your anxiety. And it's an okay space if we can hold it at a tolerable level. Okay, It's so actually is, quite is, natural. Is that the whole fight or flight thing? Absolutely, it's the fight flight response. Well, is the question that it, around it then boil down to when you've got flight rather than fight? Because I would have thought that if a... If a child's response is to meet the challenges head on, you're never going to worry about that child when they're anxious about a particular. Um, it'd be really more the case when they want to run away from anything new. Is that where it really becomes a problem? Well, the fight flight response is the same response in the body. It's actually the sympathetic system activating. So yeah. actually one activation, but it increases your muscles' ability to have some energy in the arms and the legs but it also dilates your eyes. So you're looking around more and hearing different noises rather than, do you see? So you start acting more anxious. Okay, but when it comes to children, I know somebody who's been scared of dogs their whole life. Um, and there's a rational fear, but then there's also a slightly irrational fear. So if you're the parent of a child who is absolutely terrified of dogs, for example, that can carry through into adulthood unless presumably you do something about it. You know, so how do you tackle that sort of situation? Yeah, um, and, and, and we talk about the first thousand days being so influential for the rest of our life. It's not dictating, but it's influential. And that's because if you're scared of a dog when you're a little baby, for whatever reason, every time you see a dog, you're going to activate the fight-flight response. And 
just like a sprinter practicing to activate their sprinting response, you're practicing the stress response. And every time you see a dog, you practice it again. So clearly when you become an adult, you've practiced all your life. So the only way we can change that, and I'm going to say it simply, but it's not easy, is we've got to practice activating a calm response in the presence of the dog. Is that in a way also tying to um, parents' reactions to their own children's anxiety is to, well, look, we've been around longer, we're the parents, we, we need to practice being calm when we actually might be wanting to give vent to our, our basic impulse that we're terrified that our child's not going to adapt to a new situation. Swimming lessons, I saw one recently where with a mother trying to uh, encourage her child to go into the water with the instructor and the, and the child was just, it was, it was hard to watch. And then mum got wound up. Um, and I mean, how do you, when does it become a, a real problem? Uh, when that stops you doing things that you would normally do in life. Yeah, because we all have anxious, we always have anxious moments. We get anxious. I'm anxious about lots of things, but it doesn't stop me doing them because I can push through it. And when you can't push through it anymore, that's when we really have to start getting some help. Okay, so if you're a parent listening right now, we'd love to yeah. hear from you, 0800-801080. And it might be your own situation when you were a child, um, the anxieties that you had and how they were dealt with. But if you're a parent who has dealt with your child's anxieties, how have you done it, 0800-801080? So in that scenario that Beverage just gave, uh, what do the parents do other than just going, okay, well, I'll, I'll just keep forcing them to go into the pool and then somehow it'll be okay? What do you actually do? We, we try and ask, is it tolerable? Or intolerable. So tolerable means it's going to hurt. If you stretch a rubber band to its tolerable space, it's going to stretch. It's going to say, mm. ouch, basically, if a rubber band can talk. We don't want to snap it, but we want to stretch it. And in that case, when you're talking, it feels like the parent was quite anxious as well. Mm. So in fact, in that space, one of the things a parent can do is, is just vacate the space, right? And leave the, the coach or the swimming instructor, who's probably less anxious, who will project at least to the child? Actually, that, that's um, you'll know, when you're when Riley grows up and has her first day at school, and you will have to you'll have to deal with this, Tim, because you will be wanting to drop her off, and you'll be <laughs> wanting to hang around. And our school, I mean, my wife's uh, associate principal of the beginners' school, and they give pretty good briefing to parents that basically they expect you to give your child a love and all those those sorts of things, and then when the child's not, you know, you say goodbye, lots of love, and then the teacher will distract her. And if you may get that look from the teacher, leave now. <laughs> uh, because you do get those kids who yeah. are suddenly like, and, and we, our, one of my daughters used to be a bit teary. And look, I'd give her an extra hug. And then, but you'd notice that you'd just shoot the teacher a look and go, it's, it's, I can feel that moment coming. And the teacher just, the, the good teachers, of course, they were wonderful at my school. They come over and they just, and that's the message. And you'll get that at some yeah. stage. And in a few years' time, you'll be like, that's the look that Beveridge told me I was going to get. Well, and, and generally, as I've heard the story told, is that then the parents, when they've been given the look from the teacher, the parents then go to the car and then the parents ball, <laughs> ball their eyes out. Um, I have that all the time. I always left the grounds in tears. All right. 0800 80 1080. How you deal with anxiety in your children. Nicole, you're on with us and with Catherine Burkett, who's a child psychologist. Hi, how are you? We're doing good. Good. So my son, we moved from South Africa three years ago, and my son had some kind of residual um, post-traumatic stress almost, but it turned into a real anxiety. He, would, he wouldn't play in the front yard unless there was an adult with him. He would freak out. He wouldn't even put his head near a window to sleep at night. He would sleep with his head at the foot of his bed. And um, we um, spent some time with a play therapist, and that was the most fantastic thing we ever did for this child. And... Um, we spoke also about the two books. I can't remember the author's name, but one is called Hey Awesome, and I think the other one is Hey Warrior. 
and they really speak to a child about their amygdala, the part of their brain that tries to keep them safe and how sometimes that amygdala goes into overdrive and tries to keep them safe from situations that are not unsafe. And working through that in play therapy was just a really fantastic experience with my son. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking into that book and yeah, it's specifically targeting kids who deal with anxiety. Uh, Let's go to Catherine on that. So children who have that fear for their safety, which, uh, you know, from a New Zealand point of view, in Christchurch, there's a really serious issue with children who have anxiety and you could say for good reason from, from all the quakes. You know, so what's the advice you'd give there? Uh, absolutely. And first of all, uh, recognising that that's real fight flight. I mean, and, and whether it is because we're going to die or not, we still activate the fight flight, but clearly it's going to be more activated if we are actually in danger. But what we look at, and I love that you've done play therapy, because what we often do is we try and change the brain through talk and cognitive therapy, which is fine if it's about a cognitive issue. But what we've got here is a very low brain issue. And and I talk about the brain in sequential way because we develop sequentially. And so we've gone back to the first few years of the brain and trying to regrow that. And that's what play is. That's what we did. And so what I am guessing the play therapist would have done is created moments of tolerable stress in a really positive, safe environment. And so what happens is we learn to activate a little bit of stress and then learn to calm down and we essentially build the muscle of calming down. And so play therapy is the most beautiful, safe place to do that rather than talking to the top of the brain and saying, think about calming down. So great stuff. So is the key to that is that at some level, the child who's undergoing it knows that they are in a safe environment. So they're prepared to accept a certain amount of risk within this otherwise incredibly safe place. Absolutely. And, And Nicole, when you think about yourself, did you have any of those anxieties yourself that perhaps had been transferred to your child? Oh, absolutely. I was very, very tuned into noises, to sounds, um, because it was a very real thing in South Africa that we would have intruders on our property. And um, so I found that my son has had the same thing, that if there's a noise, especially while he's, you know, just drifting off to sleep, you'll hear him from his bedroom yell, what was that? You know, just to make sure I'm, am I safe, mom? Am I okay? In the meantime, it was me dropping a plate in the kitchen or something. And so he's, you know, he's really tuned into that the same way that I am. And and so I guess you've had to retrain yourselves now. So how are you, you all, how's your whole family doing now that you're in New Zealand? We've been here for three years now, and I think we're doing really, really well. Um, it did take some, some training. It was strange to me to live in a house that didn't have burglar bars on the windows, that anyone could access your window. <laughs> it was, you know, it's just coming from a different place. And um, learning to to live in a place where you don't have that constant threat you didn't. You wouldn't think that you'd have to learn to live in that way, but you actually do. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, Nicole? That that you then debate: did the bars make you feel safer, or or were the bars a reminder that you weren't safe? Absolutely. <laughs> you wonder, hey. Yeah. Appreciate the call, and I'm pleased things are working out for you. Oh eight hundred eighty ten eighty. If you would like to be on, Catherine Burke, our special guest, a child psychologist from Engage Training. See more at engagetraining.co.nz. Just a really basic one. Fear of the dark is how do you deal with um, how do you deal with that with kids who fear of the dark? What, what what's with that? Oh, the same way we would deal with any fear, but it's what's actually with <laughs> it's actually quite fair enough because if you can't see anything, your senses are on extreme alert at yeah. that stage. Um, but what we've got to do is we've got to think about activating the calm in the presence of the fear. 
So so turning the lights off and shutting the door is <laughs> is not activating the calm in the <clears throat> presence of the fear, is it? It would activate the stress. So what we do is what we know is, you know, keep activating that, you know, have a little bit of light on and then teach them to have it off for a little while and then we'll come back in, whatever it is. But every kid's different. And some kids just are genetically not going to like the dark. Some don't care. Mm. We're, we're all different. And so we have to work at the level of that child. But it's it's a real fear. And in fact, they found that most babies are naturally scared of spiders and snakes. Um, if they're scared of mice and dogs, that's usually thanks to the parents. Um, but it's, you know, there are some things we were naturally scared of, you know, because they can actually be indicators of um, danger. So with that last call, I was scared of intruders when I was young. And that actually carried through until I was, um, you know, like 12, 13. Um, you know, I was 33 or something. 33. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I was I was genuinely, I remember when I was old enough to be left alone, so maybe this is even like 14, if I was in the house on my own and we'd had people, you know, scoping our property, you know, potential, we hadn't been burgled, but we definitely had people who'd walk around the property and not realise that we were at home. And so I, I had that I had that fear, and that was definitely something as a child. It's when it's three in the morning and you've got to go to the toilet, but in your head you're going, what if there's an intruder? That was something I genuinely worried about. As we head to a break, you can give us a call 0800 80 9292 on the text. Tim Roxburgh and Tim Beveridge here. Bevo's got a bunch of text messages to get to in a moment. Well, he's going to select the most uh, choice cuts. The juiciest cut, indeed. That's right, on 9292. But dealing with childhood anxieties, even ones which carry through into adulthood, and then the ones that parents pass on to their kids even. Give us a call, 0800 80 1080, 20 past five. Walking down a road of broken glass now if we defeat all odds and it was us against the world You can count on me, you know I'd have your back I get so lost inside your eyes you believe in? You still to be the Parent Squad on the Weekend Collective with Tim Rongsburg and Tim Beveridge joined today by child psychologist from Engaged Training, Catherine Burkett. Lots of text messages through as we're talking about how to deal with children who are anxious. 9292 if you want to text 0800 80 1080 if you'd like to be on. Okay, pick the juiciest one. What have you got? Here's one here. Um, as a parent and teacher, I feel that due to the pace of life, parents don't have the time to let kids do the things for themselves which makes the child feel inferior as they don't believe they're competent, and this creates lots of anxiety. What do you reckon, Catherine? What a fantastic text. And and absolutely, and when I train, I, obviously um, having a lot more time at training, we can really delve into the space where the world's changed incredibly quickly. And we used to have a lot of freedom. I, I spent all day away from my parents up the back of the farm building forts and um, even going to school, even in the playground. We had one teacher maybe in the playground looking after us, do you know? So now we do have a lot more adults around us. And there's lots of good reasons for that because, you know, we have an increased fear and those sorts of things. But what we need is we need our kids to have moments of stress. And as adults, our job is to fix them. And so when we're with them, we fix them. But before, we were with all our friends and our siblings and stuff, and they certainly didn't fix us. They pushed us and teased us and all those sorts of things. And and absolutely, when we send, get home, go to swimming, then go to this, get home, sit them in front of a computer, there is no time for them to make their own mistakes and have their own tolerable moments. Absolutely. Because I have these moments of my girls have an argument and they've got a problem. And um, 
my instinct sometimes is to, to, to not intervene, partly because they drive me up the wall. And I say, tell you what, why don't you guys, guys go to your room and, and see if you can sort it out because I'm not going to sort your problems out when I'm, not, when I'm not here. So surely you can work this out. But part of me thinks that I'm being a bad parent because I'm just passing the buck. And the other part of me thinks, yes, this is the right thing to do. Tell me I'm right or wrong. <laughs> Well, I mean, and, and, and again, really simply, in the brain, how we build the brain is through experience. And the more we experience, it's this thing called myelination in the brain. Awesome mm. process. But it means repetition lays down actual physical myelin in the brain, and it's like a road being um, paved and that sort of stuff. So if you think about if you go to your girls and you say, stop it, you've just paved the road that says do what you're told. If you leave them alone and they end up hating each other for a bit, and then they go, actually, I've got no one to play with now. I mm. wonder what I could do. I might need to go and say sorry. Do you see? And you're letting them build the actual road towards re- good okay. behaviour. Say they're having a doozy. They're really having a doozy. And look, I intervene. But how do I intervene in such a way that's, that isn't dad just stomping all over it, that enables them to do it? What what, what do you do when they're really, they're really angry with each other? And they don't do it too often. In fact, they're such good mates. But when they do, how do... How do I sort of meet them halfway with that while still helping them solve this problem? Well, you've just said it hardly ever happens. So whatever you do in that space really isn't going to be a big issue because every now and then, do you understand? But yeah. how big's a doozy and does it really matter? And have you had doozies with your brothers and sisters? Okay, well, let's, and, let's, pretend, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. let's pretend they are regular doozies mm-hmm. and let's say sometimes they get physical. So let's say hair pulling might be involved. Pinching. Like you, you're having to hide the knife. I, I know I've got a, I've got a mate <laughs> whose brother a threw a knife at him. You know when they were having an argument, and they they get along great now. But when they were when they were kids, like a knife was literally thrown in the house. It's like well, that, that you could lose an eye with that. So actually, I, I should I should no I should qualify that I intervene if there's been some one of them suggested that the other. Um, pinched or did something you know pushed or something like that that's when I usually go well I'm not going to let this not I don't know what do I do help but is that and and I'm being quite honest is that is that really serious behavior I mean throwing knives is definitely serious behavior well like if it's a consistent sort of behavior I guess well I I mean I just think sometimes uh, I look back and look back to when you if you had siblings and you grew up with siblings I can I don't even want to tell you some of the things that my siblings did to me and I did to them because that's what you did with five of you in the house no knives (laughs) but and that is that is a, a level but Seriously, pinching each other? Is oh, that- no, no, I was just sort of thinking it's that sort of insidious thing that we didn't see, so we're trying to stop it. Yeah, exactly. And and, and in all honesty, you're saying go to your bedroom. I would, oh, no. I myself would leave and leave them in that space to yeah, work I, it out. I think okay. you've been a bad parent there. <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I, I, I was You're pretty, being a natural parent, no, but what we confident. have to understand is it isn't helping them build their own resilience. I guess the reason I was looking for the answer is because sometimes when I, I, I leave it to them to sort out and I encourage them to sort it out myself, partly it's because they're really irritating me and I think that I've let my irritation make that decision for me. But, yeah, anyway, so... Mm. Thank you for the vote of um, sort of confidence. You can give us a call on 0800 80 10 80. Text number is 9292. And I guess another issue with this is is pandering. You know, whether you pander to your child's anxieties if they're not legit ones. And I'll never forget the girl I met in Vietnam who was an adult who was terrified of fish. And, uh, and you know, in Vietnam, there's a lot of fish to be eaten. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, this is not a legitimate anxiety. So she, she couldn't stand the sight of fish. 
you know, we're at a restaurant and a fish gets brought out on a plate. There was one that, and, <laughs> oh, and, and she jumped back with with the head. What? Yeah, yeah. So it had the whole oh, head well, on it. Yeah, I hate and those I things like, staring at me. This is not a legitimate anxiety, you know. So yeah, give us a call on 0800 or text nine two nine two if you've got any questions for Catherine about you know what you're doing as a parent. Are you yeah. helping or hindering your children? Anxiety, the whole the whole shebang. Uh, there's something else we want to talk about, which is the big questions in life. How do you talk to your kids about God and religion, whether you are religious or not, Catherine? Well, when we grow up, we we have to make our own decisions, don't we? We have to find our own path. And so I believe all religions, all options should be proposed to our kids. They should know all the options. Um, whether you are or you aren't, um, that should happen. I mean, we've, we talk about all religions in our house. Uh, my daughter is quite a strong Christian. She goes to school uh, Sunday. She's doing stars. She's training. She's very, very devoted. Um, my son's not. He hasn't found that. But I'm fine with whatever it is. I'll support her, mm. support him, um, because we have to find that way. Because the only way to be truly um, belief in your religion or whatever you want to do is to know the other options. If you don't know other options or you don't know the outside. Well, the, the extreme version, it's probably easy to, to use an extreme version as, as an example, is um, children who are born into um, a religious community like Gloria Vale. And I've heard people express the um, idea that if you indoctrinate your child, I mean, in fact, effectively by getting them while they're young, that's a, that's a form of child abuse in a way that you're telling people that this is the way the world is, there's no other way to see it, when you've really got to their minds before they can really think for themselves. I mean, so if somebody is really, a parent is passionately religious, they will think that their way is the way that they're going to um, indoctrinate or teach their child. Should they be thinking differently in that respect? I, I certainly believe that even if you are incredibly um, r religious in your own right, you still need to give your children options because... To be truly faithful, to be truly faithful, you must have that choice. Um, and if someone just says this is the only way, this is the only option, well, then you're not truly faithful. I, I guess part of it is the interpretation of your faith yourself. So that, that if your, your faith believes and your interpretation of your faith believes that there's only one path, then it, it's not surprising that that's what you would then pass on to your children. But I think that people needn't be scared of what other religions believe because, as you say, having knowledge of other religions shouldn't diminish your belief in, in, in what you believe yourself. Oh eight hundred eighty ten eighty. But sometimes those questions from children can be awkward. You know, the meaning of life questions. When a child <laughs> asks, well, well, what is God? Whether you're religious or not, uh, what do you say to your kids? You can give us a call on that one too on 0800 Bob's with us discussing anxiety. Hello, Bob. Well, uh, my problem is when uh, it's all, it's been right through my life. Um, when I was a little kid, I might have been six or seven, I don't know. I can't remember it, but we're on a steep, windy metal road and my old man couldn't drive properly. And he got in the loose metal and the car spun and we ended up hitting a tree and the tree fortunately didn't go right over. And I looked down about 100 feet and there was a big whirlpool underneath it. Now that's affected my whole life. Like, I don't know where you know the road from Thames to Coromandel. Mm. I'm absolutely terrified that all comes back to me and hits me and yeah. hits me. I'm not surprised. That, yeah, I just uh, mentioned this because I think it might help somebody else that's happened to, 
that you people can advise, you know, well, the, what to do on it. Look, look, that road, that road is a scary road. It, it's beautiful, yeah, but it's, uh, but it's I, also I was, pretty precarious. I, I was a high country fencer, con- right. uh, contract fencer, and every track I went over that was a bit steep, I was absolutely terrified in the Land Rover. Yeah. How, 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 do you, how do you manage that anxiety? Because you, 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 you've obviously, uh, you sound like you've lived to a reasonable age so far. How have you managed that anxiety? Oh, did, you get, and a half. did you get help for it at the time or have you just sort of toughed no, it out? No help. I got a belt in my backside for being, for being frightened. Do you wish you'd got help looking back now? I'd love to have help. I mean, you're, you're never too young. In a way, do you still want help with that? Yeah, well, I'm 88 and a half now, and I still have that problem today. I've got to go over a road several times, and after a while I sort of get used to it. But to go, I could not drive myself uh, from Thames to Coromandel because I'm too terrified. I always got to have somebody drive for what, me. What do you reckon, Catherine? Um, yeah, Bob, scary, scary stuff. Um there is. Uh, by the way, we can change at any age, Bob, so you're going to change. So you're going to do some stuff for me. What we're going to do is every time you think of that memory or think of a road, is you're going to actually take nice deep breaths. And I know this sounds all fluffy and um, soft, but it really works. And you're going to activate a sense of calm. And then and then you activate it in the, in the car, on the track, and all those sorts of things. So you're actually going to start telling yourself that you're getting better at this, that you're not as scared anymore. Because every time you tell yourself you're scared, you're actually increasing that myelinated connection, that 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 um, learnt behaviour. And so you're going to no, start... I can understand that. Yeah, and that's really hard. It's really hard. And often we need help, but you sound like you're very aware of yourself, which is excellent stuff. But And for everyone out there who's got anxious children or children scared of anything is we've actually got to start telling ourselves we're okay. I was incredibly scared of flying and the amount of flying I started doing, it was ridiculous. And so I just said, I know the recipe to this. And I did. I started thinking of flying. Then I went and sat at the airport and watched all the planes take off. And I made myself feel calm. And you keep doing that. And you keep saying, see, I'm so much better. I'm not scared anymore. And in fact, that in itself can help you move towards having control over it. Well, you see, my wife, she used to love to stand on cliff faces and look over and that sort of thing. And I used to be, I used to say to come back, uh, uh, you know, Helen, I'm very, I'm terrified. And, uh, well, I didn't know what to do over it. Well, thank you for your advice. Mm. Good luck, Bob. But the, the breathing, Bob. seriously, Thanks, the, the breathing, it sounds so simple for so many issues, but particularly when it comes to anxiety, that we think, oh, well, what's that really going to do? But it does actually help. The, the big intakes of air do help. The science around that, mm. which is really cool to understand. When we said we're activating the fight-flight response, it's our sympathetic system activating. And what we're trying to do is trying to counteract it by activating our parasympathetic mm. system, our calming down system. And all of our organs are connected, but the only organ we can actually control is our lungs. Mm. But as we breathe slowly, we're actually slowing down our heart and we're actually getting our kidney and liver to start activating again, which helps us um, activate that calm space. So we're, I talk about it as the tug of war in mm. our body. And if you get your lungs to calm down, you're pulling the entire team into a state of calm. And it's so powerful. And I love thinking about when I take a breath and my body starts to calm that my kidney and my liver and my spleen are starting up um, better, 
and it keeps me healthy. And that's actually how, when I take a breath, that's what I envision is my that's good. my immunity system. It's <laughs> also nice to in. hear that, you know, because, I mean, Bob was saying he put his age out there because I think in a way he was sort of like, I'm not looking for a solution for myself. But yeah, in, at any, anxiety can affect you at any age and there's no, you can address it at any, any age, I guess. Absolutely. Um, one quick, um, what about with getting back to the parenting thing and, and children, when do you work out when an anxiety is tolerable versus when it's getting to the stage where it's intolerable? How do what what like advice? Like the girl you, with the fish, yeah, or you know, or, or, or the child in the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, when it's intolerable stress, you can't work with it in that space. We can only work with it um, in the in the positive. But but when you think about that stretch, if you think about the gym, going to the gym and picking up a weight and you pick up that weight, it hurts. Mm. It has to hurt, otherwise you're not building muscle. So is it tolerable? And I talk about, would they go back and do it again? Is it going to you know, absolutely um, exacerbate a space that makes them not want to move back into it? But it is going to hurt. It is going to hurt. And as parents, we have to recognise that it's hurting, but mm. it's tolerable. When you had your babies and they started to cry, mm. and your mate was over from overseas who didn't know the baby, and they went, oh, baby's crying. And you're going, nah, they're fine. They're mm. fine. Until... You went, no, no, actually, I need to go in there now. How did you know? The only way you knew is because you knew that baby or you know that yeah. child, which is why when we said before, the only way you can change this increased resilience is in a relationship, in a safe space. Is it fair to use distraction as a, if, say, like if they're, if they're scared about a particular thing, like going in the water? I, I was actually thinking of a, in Queenstown, you watch the people the guys coaching people into the bungee jump who have <laughs> who have a natural anxiety against heights and and I, and and I and it looks to me that they do a lot of distraction it's like they say well so they get to do the main task they get them to do lots of little things like oh you've just would you know get you to nudge forward here i'm just going to get you to focus on what this guy say there's the camera out there and things like that and now look at the look at your friends over there waving before they know the <laughs> uh, falling to there. Have you, you know, done it? No, no. I I've got no interest. I've got, no, I'd I, skydive, but bungee jumping I've, just seems a bit silly. I've had a couple of. I've had a detached retina, and I know you oh, don't like oh, talking. Oh, about, oh. And 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 so they advise against me. To Anna Hemorrhage one. Tim. Oh. Uh, I, Tim's got a thing about eyeballs, and I'm dying to prey on that at some stage. But I keep my powder dry on that one. But is that something about like with my? Uh, with a child getting into the swimming pool, you just sort of distract them with something, and before they know it, they're they're in the arms of the instructor and they're getting used to it. Is absolutely so. Again, summarising that fight flight response, the anxiety or the fear. I mean, it's all a continuum. Anxiety is just a lower level of a massive mm. fight flight response. Um, it's it's because we think we're unsafe, because something's worried us and thinks we're going to die. Mm. And so what we do is increase the brain's sense of safety. So I've got a little, um, the little recipe around it is the first thing is relationships, unless that relationship is anxious. Mm. Um, we've got status. So it's funny that you can increase status and it makes someone feel safer. So we talk about getting down on the level of the child or all of that sort of stuff. So increasing status. But the third one is distraction. And so distracting is good because it makes the red brain forget. But the fourth one is something sensory, something moving and um, doing it. So if we can increase relationship status, distraction and sensory, then we can actually make the brain feel safer and it starts to deactivate that stress response and we can then be more likely to override that impulse and stuff. Well, what about children who have anxiety about fitting in? Uh, and, and a lot of children will worry about that. I mean, I remember that as a, as a child. It was the, the worst thing. Not the worst thing, but it was a genuine ongoing concern in, say, primary school of, of you know, you, you just want to fit in. 
Absolutely, and, and that is one of the most important things, by the way, in our brain, because to survive, we have to form a community. We have to be with someone. Humans know that we can't survive alone. So when we're with someone in a relationship, in a friendship, in a secure relationship, our brain lights up more than any other time, even playing video games. And so what we're doing in the brain is, is we're driven to have relationships and in a, in a group around us. So it's the biggest fear is not being part of that group. And certainly when I was a child, um, I lived in hand-me-downs. All we ever had was hand-me-downs, and it was hand-me-downs mm. from the community that I lived in. And so I always knew that people were looking at me going, oh, she's wearing my clothes and <laughs> she can't afford, you know? And I always knew I was different because I was from a farm and I didn't have the access to things like other people. And I always felt like I was completely out. And it was hilarious talking to friends now as older. They're going, but I thought you fit in, and I didn't feel like I fit in. Really? Yeah. So I think all kids feel like they don't fit in because it's such a huge desire. We see the negative more than the positive. So, but it's tolerable. And so, as a parent, mm. your your child comes home from school and says, "Today, one of the kids said, none of us like you." Because it's not kids are so cruel that they won't just say, "I don't like you." They will say, "Nobody likes you. We don't like you." What do you say back to your child? And that's terrible, isn't it? But as a parent, we start living their life. And in fact, sometimes if you leave that and you see how it goes, tomorrow it's fine. It's whether it's ongoing or not to a certain extent. I, that's when I'd be more worried. Well, that about. raises that question about teasing versus bullying, doesn't it? And whether you know, it's whether someone's just being a little bit mean and 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 teaching kids that maybe it's not such a big deal. But I don't know. Then again, you minimise it, don't you? So. Tolerable or intolerable. <laughs> we'll have to get you back on the show. We've run out of time. But great to have you. It's Catherine Burkett, and she is a child psychologist from Engage Training. So if you do want to see more, because we only just touched on it on this week's episode of The Parent Squad, then go to engagetraining.co.nz. Don't forget that we podcast. So if you want to listen back to the full discussion, then just go to our Facebook page and you can see the link to the podcasts there. It's 17 minutes to 6 and we've got our sports wrap coming for you next. Josh Price from Radio Sport with what's happening in what is a pretty huge night of sport. That's for you in just a moment. 17 to 6. Yeah.